where marriage is made and love lasts. Welcome to Marriage Unhindered with Doug Hinderer. Relationship problems? No problem. Give us a call, 888-914-9149. Need a second opinion? That's 888-914-9149. This is Marriage Unhindered. Here's your host, Doug Hinderer. Welcome to Marriage Unhindered. I'm your host, Doug Hinderer, licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, and it's a beautiful, sunny Saturday in Chicago. We've gone, I don't know what, with two and a half weeks without seeing the sun. And now this is the third day in a row with the sun. And something about a sunny day that just picks up your spirits. That is for sure. So I'm taking your calls at 888 or you can email me at Doug at marriageunhindered.com. So I'm, I'm here to help you live married life as God intended it and to give you some help in those areas where you might be struggling. Uh, the bottom line, uh, this show is designed to help you strengthen your marriage. Marriage does not have to be perfect to be wonderful. And thank goodness for that because none of us have a perfect marriage, but a lot of us, a lot of us have wonderful marriages. That's the idea. So i got to read the disclaimer. I, to be clear, this is not therapy, but it is education. Some of the issues we may get into uh, may be too complex to be able to answer really thoroughly on the show, or or perhaps your challenge is, is too complex to heal on your own. I, If those are the case, I, I want to encourage you to consider therapy uh, for these difficult situations. There's wonderful science out there on how to heal marriages, and there are some really wonderfully competent therapists uh, who are in practice as well. Uh, this show is under the protection of our Blessed Mother, under the title of Undoer of Knots, and we always begin with a prayer to her. If you'll join me in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Blessed Mother, take into your hands the knots that affect married couples, and with your long fingers of love and grace, undo these knots for the glory of God. Visit married couples with your grace, renew their sacramental covenant, Increase God's love in them and strengthen their bond of peace so that with their children, they may always rejoice in the gift of your blessing. Holy Mary, undoer of knots, pray for us. Amen. All right, this week, we're going to have a little shift in focus. Actually, we're not going to talk about married couples. We're going to talk about single people or dating couples. Uh, this is February. It's the month of love. You got Valentine's Day showing up here. Did you know that Valentine's Day is the number one day of the year for couples to get engaged, right? And uh, the average guy spends three months planning the proposal for Valentine's Day, even though three quarters of the <laughs> of the women are not surprised when it shows up. Men spend a lot of time preparing for that day. And February is also in our church, the month dedicated to the Holy Family. So appropriate to talk about those uh, uh, folks who are, you know, single and are dating, who are uh, hoping to marry someday, or are currently dating, trying to determine if this person will make a good spouse. This is the show for you. Or if you are married and have children and you'd like to help prepare them for marriage someday, you'll want to stay tuned for this show. All right, we're going to we're going to talk about what to look for and what to avoid. All right, I'm taking your calls, 888-914-9149. Email me at Doug at com. All right, let's jump into it. What, uh, 
what should we, what should you be looking for? So the number one thing, I think, is to uh, look for a person who knows how to love you, how to love. Well, I know you're sitting there saying, duh, uh, Doug, I thought you were pretty sharp at this marriage stuff. <laughs> That's pretty obvious. Well, you know, tell me something I don't know. Well, okay, I will. Do you know that there's actually four different kinds of love? And you need all four if you're going to have a solid marriage. So C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves and based his work on the Greek philosophers. So this idea goes back to Greek antiquity that there are four different kinds of love. So, and I, you know, the idea is that, listen, love is a gift. It's not a reward. So you want to be able to find someone who whose love for you is a gift, and it's not contingent on rewarding you for your good behavior, right? So the four loves, philia, storge, eros, and agape. So philia is the love of friendship. It's based on two things, I think, in, in marriage, common interests and emotional safety, right? So you need to have things you enjoy doing together, like enjoy reading books or going for walks or bike riding. We we enjoy the same kinds of things to talk about or the same books we like to read. We, we have interesting conversations. Now, you're not going to have everything in common, and that's good. I mean, you know, the, the one thing we learned coming out of COVID was that even the best marriage, you need time apart. If you're together too much, that's not good for anybody. Uh, and so you need your own interest as well. But the more you have in common, the better that is. And then number two is emotional safety, that my heart is safe when I am with you. Uh, and, you know, the idea is if I asked you who your best friend uh, is, you would come up with, you give me a name, and I'd say, why is that person your best friend? You say, well, because I could tell that person anything. I can share with them my deepest, darkest secrets. I, I go to them when I'm sad and they, they pick me up, or I go to them when I'm happy and they share in my joy. My, my heart is safe with them. And that's the love of friendship, the love of, of, of heart safety. That's so important in marriage. Number two is storge. And I, I think of storge in terms of uh, uh, gentle, caring, uh, affection, right? Gentle affection. Um, this is kindness. And uh, uh, it's, it's, you know, common courtesies like please and, and thank you. It's uh, opening car doors. Um and it's, it's, it's just kindness. All right. And it's, it's going out of your way to, to do little things. And I, one of my favorite quotes from John Gottman is the little things in a marriage are really big. Okay. So it's not a matter of doing really big things like fancy, uh, vacations or fancy nights out. It's little things like, well, I noticed that the the dryer turned off, so I, I folded the laundry, or I, the carpet was dirty, so I took out the vacuum and I and I vacuumed the carpet. Right? It's it's these little little things that are so important, little acts of kindness. And then eros, eros is you know emotional love. It's it's what we think of when we think of uh, infatuation. It's uh, it's an idea that uh, you know when I when I look at you, my heart skips a beat. Uh, I uh, and I kind of lose my breath when you walk in to the room, right? It, and it's it's this desire for for physical connection. 
really important infatuation and eros love, and certainly physical love, physical intimacy between husband and wife is a really critical thing. So, but in the dating game, uh, it's important to you know ask question: Is there physical uh, desire here? Do I uh, do I find the person physically attractive, and and do I? Do I want to unite uh, with this person at some point to to bring new children into the world? And would I love to have this person be you know, the father or the mother of, of my children? This idea of infatuation is really important, uh, but I, I, I call it you know necessary but not sufficient. Uh, you need more than that, and and but a lot of times people. They fall deeply into this infatuation love, and they think, wow, this is a great love, and, and uh, we must really love each other because we're so infatuated. And the reality is infatuation only lasts about six to nine months because you can't live at that level of emotional you know, stimulation for long. And so it's important to attract the couple initially, and you need to have it. But you got to move beyond that because it's just not going to uh, it's just not gonna last. And then last is is agape, which I think is the the most difficult of the four loves. And I think this is this is the idea of sacrificial love. I put the we ahead of the me. I, I subordinate me in favor of what's best for us. It's unconditional. It's this idea that I love you unconditionally. It's not uh, it's not based on how well you treat me, it's not based on whether or not you make me laugh or if you're kind to me. I'm. This is the love you pledge on your wedding day. It's unconditional love. Now, I, this is the hardest because as mere humans, our love tends to be very conditional. I, I love you when you're nice to me, and I'm, I don't love you all that much if you're not nice to me. I, 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 I love you... When you make me laugh, or but if you say something that makes me angry, or if you're not thoughtful, or you're not that kind, or the friendship isn't that great, I, I may not love you quite as much. But Jesus, you know, is our role model for what uh, agape love is all about. Uh, Pope Benedict wrote a lot about uh, agape love in his encyclical Space Salvi. And there he said, in the end, even the yes to love is a source of suffering. Because love always requires expropriations of, of my I, in which I allow myself to be pruned and wounded. Love simply cannot exist without this painful renunciation of myself. For otherwise it becomes pure selfishness and thereby ceases to be love. So this renunciation of self, this willingness to suffer for the other person, Really an important part of marriage and a really important part of what it takes to to stick it out through 40 or 50 or 60 years of married life. I think women, my observation, generally do a better job of suffering than men do. They come by it naturally. I think part of it is the suffering that they go through to bring new life into the world. But women tend to have more of an orientation towards taking care of other people and putting themselves last and, and being there to help other people. Men tend to be a little uh, little more selfish. Men tend to struggle with this idea of sacrificing myself for the good of my wife, sacrificing my needs for the good of my family, putting them first and me second. If there is even time to get to me, uh, I don't even think about my needs, my desires, my wants. I think about what my family needs, what my wife needs, and and that's what I do. That's how I orient my life. There's four 
characteristics of agape love that I think is really important. And the first is permanency. Uh, it's really important to understand that when I pledge this love, it's permanent. I'm not going away. I'm not backing down, and I'm here. One of the things that I encourage um, engaged couples to have a conversation about is divorce. They say, whoa, whoa, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Why am I talking about getting married? So we talk about getting divorced. But I think it's a valid question to ask. Under what condition would you leave me? Is there any reason at all, anything that could happen in our life together, where you think that would give you an out to this vow of permanency that you're taking on our wedding day? Anything at all that would cause you to walk away? Like, you know, an affair? You know, would that cause you to end to, to walk away? Or, you know, what if I lost $50,000 at the casino some weekend? Would that cause you to to walk away? I brought us into financial. Or, or what if I'm just never able to make enough money to support us and, and you have to keep working? Would that cause you to want to end this marriage? Or what if someday you just wake up and you say, hey, I'm just not happy with you. And I married you. I thought you'd make me happy. I'm not happy and so I think I can walk away and go find someone who will make me happy. And ultimately, I think a lot of marriages end because of that. I'm just not happy with you anymore, and life is too short, and I've got a, I've got a right to be happy. You're not making me happy, and I'm walking away. So I, I encourage engaged couples to have that conversation about divorce, and is there a reason, anything at all, that would cause you to walk away from me? It's a good conversation to have ahead of time, to be sure. So uh, permanent. And then next is exclusive, right? Uh, one spouse, one man, one woman till death, right? And so this person you're dating, do they know how to prioritize you ahead of everything and everyone else? Are you the priority in their life? Okay, because in marriage, they need to be able to do that. And, you know, there's this thing called, you know, an emotional affair, where um, one person in the marriage will develop kind of emotional attachments to someone outside the marriage. And maybe it goes over the ledge to become a physical affair, but very often it does not. Um, and, and it's just an emotional thing. But it's a violation of the ninth commandment. You know, marriage, there's two commandments that protect it, six and nine, and this exclusive thing... Uh, you got to follow the ninth commandment too, right? Don't even look, don't even talk to anybody else. Keep them at arm's length. And I encourage people when you do that, when you keep them over the opposite sex at arm's length, you do it with your left hand because that's the one where the ring is and that's how they know. So, all right, so it's uh, agape love is permanent. It's exclusive. It's also public, right? We declare it in public in front of other people. Uh, and then fourth is it's fruitful. The first commandment, given to mankind by God. In the book of Genesis, first chapter, 28th verse says, be fruitful and multiply, all right? And so if you're not, you know, and here's the deal. I mean, bringing children into the world is sacrificial, tremendously sacrificial. And you learn that right after that child is born and all of a sudden you're not sleeping a lot and the baby's up during the night and the baby can be fussy, et cetera. And, uh, a lot of sacrifice, financial sacrifice, et cetera, when babies show up. Okay. So those are your four loves, all right? So the love of friendship, a deep friendship. Uh, storge, the love of affection, 
right? A deep uh, amount of kindness and, and, and kind words and kind actions, little acts of kindness throughout the day. Eros, this, this physical attraction, this desire to be united physically. Uh, and then agape, this, this commitment that says, I will sacrifice anything for your happiness. I now put your happiness ahead of mine. I was reading a story, uh, an article written by a guy who said he spent the first 10 years of his marriage focused on his happiness, and he was miserable. Spent the second 10 years of his marriage focused on making his wife happy, and he became very happy. Right, and so this agape love, this sacrificial love, is the course to real, to real happiness. I uh, tell you a story about uh, a cousin of my mother's who uh, was married seventy-five years, and this was a few years back. And and his children threw a, a party for them on their seventy-fifth wedding anniversary, pretty appropriate. And my mother went to the party, and it was. It was obvious that uh, his wife was slipping and her health was was deteriorating and and she probably wouldn't be around a whole lot longer. And my mother was talking to her cousin. He said, you know, I, I just can't imagine what life will be like without her. I He was a farmer and he said, you know, for 75 years, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, I looked at her face. I ate three meals a day with her seven days a week for 70 five years, and I can't imagine life without her. And, and uh, a few months went by, and one afternoon, uh, his uh, his wife passed away. And, and uh, it was the afternoon, and uh, less than 24 hours later, he, he joined her. He passed away as well. He, he died of a broken heart. That's the kind of love we all want, right? That's what we, uh, we hear these stories about these couples who've been married for 60, 70 years, and they, they die within a day of each other. And, and that's the love of friendship. That's what friendship does. That's the glue, the connection that gets held uh, in, in, in friendship. So there, there's what you, so here's what you, that's your, this is your scorecard, right? So uh, am I dating someone, thinking about marrying someone who knows how to love, who knows how to love in deep friendship, deep affection? Who's, who's physically uh, desirable and who is very sacrificial. Now, here's what I tell couples. In fact, I'll, I'm going to be at a, working with a, a pre-cana uh, group later this afternoon. And I tell them, listen, you need all four of these and you need to score out your, your prospective partner on all four of these. And they need to score out at least an 80% or higher on all four. And if one of these is lacking... Do not go forward with the marriage. That's a recipe for disaster. You need all four, and you need all four at a high level. So there's kind of your your one of your, your measuring sticks, all right? So it's time for a break, uh, but before we do, I mean, so, so you think you have found someone who knows how to love you well. You feel well-loved by that person. Is that all you need to build a happy life together? Not by a long shot. No, you need more than just love. When we come back, we'll talk about why love is not enough and uh, what else you need to have a happy marriage. So don't go away. I'll be taking your calls at 888-914-9149. Email me, Doug, at marriageunhindered.com. Be back in a minute.
life, strong back and lifetime warranty. Ladies out there, marry that man. All right. I am not a big fan of tattoos, but if I was going to get one, I think I'd get that one tattooed on my chest. So, ah, yes, I'm in it for life, darling, and I'm not leaving. So we're gonna we're gonna build this. We've got a, uh, a caller, Greg in Appleton. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Doug. Thanks for taking my call. Happy to do it. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Hey, I've been listening to you for the past couple of weeks, and I really enjoy the show. Thank you. Um, I'm glad to know that there are other couples out there who are struggling with some of the same problems that the wife and I have had, and we've been married for over 40 years. So um, it's... um, it's been it's been a great show. I wish it were on a little longer, but uh, <laughs> I'll continue yeah. to keep listening. Uh, and just I guess the only comment that I would have, just in relation to your current topic, sure. would be to make sure that you would tell people to listen to other family members that you have a connection with, or a uh, or you respect their opinion as far as who you're going to get uh, married to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean that that's really important too. I mean if if everybody else is saying this is a mistake. Uh, you know, maybe you should listen to them, but cause I've, I've known a few, I've known a few couples that, you know, people were saying, why are you doing this? This is a big mistake. And then yeah. they end up getting divorced, you know, down the road because they're, they're not a good match. So, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. that would be the only other comment, but, well, uh, yeah. I'll let you get on with your show. Thank um, you for that. I, I listen, you, you know, you, 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 you teed yeah. up the third segment of the show and I'm going to talk about that oh. exact thing. So <laughs> you, you read my mind on that. So listen, I appreciate the, uh, the well wishes and I'm having a lot of fun doing this show and I hope we can keep doing it, uh, for a lot of years. So thanks so much for the call. I, I hope Greg. so too. I, I, I key in on the 11 o'clock hour. I don't listen to a lot of relevant radio. Uh, Mary does. She listens to it all day long, yeah. but uh, I, I watched, I, I wanted to hear it and get into the show and it's been a great show. I've been, I mean, it's, it's uh, definitely uh, some great tips and advice and uh, I'm glad to see it's uh, hopefully it'll continue to be a success for you. Yeah, thanks so much, Greg. Have a great day up in Appleton. All right. So listen, uh, yes. So we're talking about how to evaluate your future spouse. And what you should look for and and, and uh, what you should avoid like the plague, or I guess we should say what you, sh- you should avoid like COVID, which is our current plague, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. Are you, are you dating someone and trying to decide if this is the person you should marry? Well, give me a call. Let's talk about it. I'm taking your calls, 888-914-9149, or send me, drop me an email, Doug at marriageunhindered.com. All right, so what else should you be looking for? I mean, first thing is someone who knows how to love. That's important. Number two, I, you need to find a person who knows how to fight fair. Conflict is unavoidable. You are going to have conflict. You're going to get on each other's nerves. You're going to do things that are going to irritate each other. You need a, a person uh, who, who can talk to you about these things, who can disagree or be upset, but in a way that's not harmful, but in a way that doesn't harm the marriage, right? Can Can he or she argue in a way that still conveys love and respect. Can they say, you know, I'm angry, I'm hurt by this, but in a way that lets you know that you're still loved as opposed to uh, to hurt you in, in return, right? And so John Gottman has done some marvelous research in this area, and, and he found uh, four behaviors that are behind all of the, the, the conflict and the disharmony and, and the things that really destroy marriages. And he labeled them the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and so you want to stay away from, the, from these four bad boys. And one is criticism, right? And so if the person you're dating or thinking about marrying 
do they do they spend a lot of time blaming you? Do they fault find? Do they are they regularly pointing out what's wrong with you so that you'll fix yourself and you'll shape up? Not a good recipe for a long-term marriage. So you don't want to marry someone with a critical spirit, especially when that critical spirit is directed at you. Number two in the Gottman hierarchy of of uh, Horace of the Apocalypse is contempt. Contempt is, I think of contempt in terms of harsh words, biting words. You know, this is sarcasm or or name-calling, right? So if uh, if you're with somebody who, when they're upset, they say some pretty hurtful things to you, that's a recipe, that is the most disastrous of, of, of all of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And, and it's the most predictive of divorce because it comes from a place of anger and there's some real meanness in there. So if you're with someone who's hurtful in their speech when they're upset with you, probably not a good idea to move forward. Number three is stonewalling, just shutting down, walking away, leaving you feel alone, just standing there uh, in an argument that they can't actually have a conversation about it. They get flooded, they get overwhelmed, and they just shut down and, and walk away. Stay away from that. And then the last one is defensiveness. It's uh, They blame you for all of the problems, okay? It's always your fault. They're never to blame. That's a really difficult person to be uh to be with as well. So, um, you know, the question is, can they disagree in a way that's not disagreeable? Can they disagree in a, in a loving and gentle way? Do they listen for good understanding? And and uh, this defensiveness thing, I had a couple I worked with very shortly, young couple, married less than six months. Um, and I always have an individual session with each of them as, as we're starting. Uh, and uh, in the individual session with the husband, he said, listen, Doug, I'm, you know, I'm not perfect, but 95% of the problems we're having here in this marriage is, is because of my wife. Uh, and he went on to tell me all things were wrong with her. And I, and, and I, you know, I listened, but my thought was, we're not going to get anything solved with this couple. And we're probably going to have two, maybe three more sessions. And then the husband's going to quit coming in. Cause as soon as we start talking about the things he's doing, that's leading to the disharmony, uh, he'll quit coming. And three sessions later, I got a phone mail message from the wife saying the husband has decided to stop coming to therapy because he didn't like the fact that we were starting to point out that he had some things to change too. So defensiveness, not not good. All right, so you need a person who can fight fair, who can handle disagreements in a way that says, I, I love you, okay, and I'm, I'm, I'm here for you. Uh, next point. Perhaps the most important thing I'm going to talk about today, you want to marry a person whose defects you can live with. That is really critical. So often success in marriage is a matter of marrying someone whose defects don't make you crazy, who you can actually tolerate and handle. Uh, and, you know, we all we all have them, okay? Uh, and the person you marry is going to have defects. And I think it's important to have a conversation or at least think through, okay, what, what are this person's defects? What are the things about this person that are not perfect? Uh, and can I actually live with those? And, you know, Aquinas wrote somewhere, I'm going to paraphrase, of course, but that, you know, love and hate cause insanity. Right? Those are the two emotions that lead to insanity because both of them blind us to the truth. They blind us to reality. And that old saying that love is blind yeah, it is. And we tend not to see uh, our future spouse's defects, especially when we're enthralled with infatuation, right? With the Eros love, we tend to be, um, you know, we, 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 we tend not to really see our spouse's defects. So I got an email over the week and 
I, I want to read it briefly, but I, you know, I want to thank everyone who sends in their emails. I, they're very helpful. And, and uh, sometimes I, I get a lot, but sometimes I can, I can uh, read them on the air. I try to do that when I can. So uh, this person, again, anonymous, but said, last week you talked about how spouses can be irritated with each other. And then in, in parents, when uh, the husband is retired and your advice was very helpful. Thank you. What about when there are little irritations during dating? We are both in our 50s, both professionals. Should it be 100% easy during dating? We love each other and both want to figure this out. It's me that is irritated with him. Should it be 100% easy during dating? And I, yeah, the answer is no, but it should be a lot more easy than hard because anything that's difficult while you're dating is going to get even harder after you're married. And so... It should be pretty easy. If you got to work at it, you got to fight to actually love each other and be kind to each other and make the relationship work. That could be a flag that maybe there's just not enough in common between the two of you to actually make this thing work. So, you know, and I think it depends on the irritations. So, I, you know, the question is, do, do these irritations stem from a defect in the boyfriend or in you? So why are you irritated? Because... The, the boyfriend is doing things that objectively you shouldn't be doing and that's causing you irritation? Or are you just impatient and uh, maybe a little unreasonable, right? So if if it's your defect, well, then you've got an opportunity here to grow in virtue, in, in patience and charity, uh, humility, meekness, docility. I mean, you get a lot of opportunities to go in a lot of different uh, virtues if, in fact, you're getting, your irritation is because of your defect, right? So you can use his behavior to grow in holiness and, and root out your predominant defect. So uh, that, that could be a good thing. Uh, but if it's his defect, then the question is, can you live with it? Whatever it is that you're getting irritated about, that's going to be with you for the rest of your married life. And are you willing to live with it? If the answer is no, well, then you've got your answer that I can't live with someone who, you know, who whatever it is, let's say, you know, that person tends to, you know, drink too much. Well, can I live with someone who tends to misuse alcohol the rest of my life? Uh, maybe not, or maybe I can, I, I, you know, but you've got to make that choice. And then just one final thought here to uh, this woman who's, who sent the, the uh, email. I Getting married later in life can be wonderful. I know a lot of couples who got married in their you know, 50s or 60s. A lot of times it's a second marriage. They were widowed, uh, and uh, and now they found someone else who they can spend their senior years with. And, and getting married later in life can be a wonderful thing. Uh, but aligning two lives, you know, uh, after you've been doing your own thing for 50 years can be very challenging. You've been doing it your way for a long time. Or if you were married for a long time and now you're widowed, I you've you've you had this comfort, you know, you had this routine, this rhythm with your first spouse, and now you got to develop a whole new one, and there's you're going to be comparing the current wife with with the, the, the old wife, and that can be very difficult, too. So realize going into marriage later can be very challenging, uh, but um, it can be very rewarding as well. I'm certainly not saying you shouldn't do it. All right. All right, so... A person who can fight fair and a person whose defects you can live with. It's, it's going to be there forever. And I think, you know, I, uh, you know, trust your intuition on this thing, right? Is just if, if the defects aren't going away and if they keep building, this is perhaps a, a warning sign that uh, you should uh, 
not go forward. And then I, the other thing I'd say is, you know, before we take a break here, you need to be with the person with whom you are aligned spiritually. The spiritual alignment, I, I, it's not one of those things I think it's necessary, but not sufficient, right? So you need uh, someone who's who's got the same worldview and the same view of, of God and how God fits into that worldview. I, without God, there are no rules. And differences in beliefs add stress to relationships, particularly when they're small children. Now you're trying to decide how we're going to raise these children, where we're going to send them to school, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, So differences in faith cause stress relationships. So you really need to talk about and have a clear understanding of how we view God uh, and how we view the, the, the world. A couple of questions I think are good to ask. Uh, to ask yourself is, do I love God more now because this person is in my life? Uh, Dating this person, has my faith grown stronger because of this person's influence in my spiritual life? Uh, And is his or her scriptural understanding of God's design for marriage aligned with mine? Do we kind of see the role of husband and the role of wife through a similar lens? I think that's a really important question. And, and 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 one of the red flags here is, you know, the person you're dating should never ask you to do anything that would put your soul in danger. Never under any condition ask you to do anything that goes against your values or that even starts to tiptoe into the arena of sin. A couple of great sources, I think, uh, to help you in this arena. One is a book by Father Robert Altier called God's Plan for Your Marriage. One of the five, it's a top three books book for me. I've read dozens and dozens of books on marriage. God's Plan for Marriage by Father Robert Altier, top three selection for me. And then, of course, Father Rocky's Marriage Insurance book, a top three choice as well. I'm trying to figure out what the third one is in my top three. I don't know what it is, but but it uh, it's there. All right, so there you go. Now, so it's time for another break, but do you think we're done? No, 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 we are not done yet. When we come back, I will share with you my thoughts on who not to marry, what are the red flags you should avoid? What are the knockout factors that should cause you to turn and run for the hills and not go for this relationship? Plus, I will share with you the one foolproof test of your potential future spouse. You don't want to miss this last section. Taking your calls, 888-914-9149 or email me at doug at marriageunhindered.com. Be back in a second. points there. I fall in love every time I think of you. That's the uh, that's the Eros love, and we're deeper friends, and, uh, and we're treating each other well. So you're my best friend. There you go. You summed it all up right there. All right. So listen, I'm, uh, I'm taking your calls, 888-914-9149. Email me at doug at marriageunhindered.com. I'm going to talk about who not to marry, and we're going to talk about the foolproof task to really measure who you should and shouldn't uh, Mary, before we do that, let's go to Amy in Chicago. 
Good morning, Amy. Good morning. Thank you for taking the call. My pleasure. How are you? Good. I just had a quick question listening to your show so far about the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and red flags and things. Um, is there a way to kind of decipher, especially for your engaged couples who are on the younger side? Yeah. Uh, my husband and I got married young. I was 22. He was 24. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, had we got married a little later in life, had I had more long-term relationships, like a lot of these issues probably would have been worked out. You know, you learn how to argue, you learn how to show respect, <laughs> yeah. you learn how to express disagreement without contentment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So is there a way to kind of help the younger engaged couples decipher between what are some issues you're seeing that are just an immaturity and you're going to learn to grow out of it together yeah. versus something that's a red flag that maybe the relationship shouldn't be pursued? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. And you know, listen, if I had the answer to that, I'd be a multimillionaire because then you could just guarantee, <laughs> yeah, yes. this is going to work, you're guaranteed. And I think, you know, the research out there is, is a little um, maybe counterintuitive. But the younger couples actually do better in marriage than couples who get married in their 30s. So getting yeah. married in your early 20s is actually not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing because to a large degree, you you grow up and mature together. You know, you yeah. learn how to uh, adapt to life. And, you know, if you get married right out of college, you don't have much money. So you learn how to budget money together and things like that. So I think, yeah, you know, there's no foolproof way. I, I, I've got a marriage prep workshop that I've put together that I think is very helpful. And hopefully we're going to record it and make it available on the Marriage Unhindered website here in a, in a couple of months, which can be helpful. Uh, the important thing, I think, though, is to, if, if you marry someone who is, and this is going to be the first thing I'm going to talk about here and her not to marry, someone who's not selfish, someone who's willing, mm -hmm. who understands agape love, who understands sacrificial love, that I need to put you ahead of me now, and I'm going to spend my life taking care of your happiness and not worried about my own happiness. You're coming first. That's a tough thing, but I think that to me is, if I had to boil it down to just one thing, that would be it. Someone who really understands what agape love is all about. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, Amanda, thank you for your call. Let me real quick talk about who not to marry. I got the big five. This is the big five on who not to marry. First is, and I mentioned it here when I was talking to Amy, uh, selfishness. Selfishness is the thing that sucks oxygen out of every marriage, okay? Uh, someone who's selfish, self-focused, who complains about you not giving them enough attention, uh, someone who's very emotionally needy, who just never seems to be all that happy. Um, you know, someone, you always feel a little off balance when you're around them, you know, someone's low self-esteem, right? Someone who feels it's your job to meet, meet my needs and, and make me happy. If I'm not happy, it's, it's your fault. Stay away from selfish people for sure. Number two, a person who's not aware of your emotions, who's clueless about how to treat you, right? Someone with low emotional intelligence. You know, you bring up something that they did that you didn't like, and you're met with a blank stare. Like, what are you talking about? You know, it's it's like, listen, you you showed up an hour late, and you didn't even call to tell me you're going to be late. And look at you like, yeah, so what's the big deal about that, right? So someone who's not aware of how their behavior affects you, very difficult to be married to that person long term. Number three, anger management issues. If you're, if you're, you know, if you're dating someone who is easily angered, loses their temper over little things, and if you're always kind of, you know, walking around afraid that boy you might say or do something that's going to trigger their anger, man, it is really hard to go through life with someone uh, who tends to give in to anger a lot. You know, there's a reason why anger is one of the seven deadly sins. It, it 
not good. So especially if anger results in verbal or, or emotionally abusive language, you know, saying cruel things or hard things or mean things, right? Uh, when angry, that's a big red flag. That's a hard person to be married to. And certainly a hard line is drawn if there's any kind of physical uh, physical contact at all, period, when the person's angry. If they result to any kind of physical displays of that, especially directed towards you, that's an immediate uh, game ender right there. Number four, substance abuse or excessive use. Uh, you know, someone who abuses alcohol now, you know, pot's legal in most states, and uh, uh, that's not a good recipe either for success. For sure, with hard drugs, if you're dating someone who uses hard drugs, you you got to get away from that immediately. That's a total red flag. And number five, my last one is, uh, and this is kind of a big one too, but a person whose moods change often, someone who lacks emotional stability. They're high one moment, they're excited, they're, and the next minute they're in tears or they're angry, and then they're excited again. People are hypersensitive. You're always walking on eggshells, and you're never really sure who you, you know who you're walking into. Are there, is it is it happy Doug, sad Doug, angry Doug, and and even whoever that is, that might be all different Doug in half an hour, right? Someone who it cries a lot, or they're sad a lot, or without warning, and so people who who are emotionally unstable, whose moods change a lot. Stay away from that. So stay away from selfish people. People aren't aware of your emotions. People, anger, management issues, substance abuse and misuse, and people whose moods change a lot. So I want to get to, uh, I've got a caller here I'm going to get to, and then we're going to talk about the foolproof test, the foolproof test to, to know if you're making a good thing. So uh, can we go to, let's take Kaylee in Ohio. Hi. Good morning, um, Kaylee. How are good you? Good morning. I'm fabulous. How are you today? I'm <laughs> pretty good myself. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Um, I am 28 years old, and I'm dating a man who is 47. Okay. And I have a question regarding to um, just basically the dynamic of this. Yeah, sure. So, so he's a great man. He has three kids. I have none. He's a pastor. He's pastored for years. And, um, so our, we get along great. We have fun. He's safe. It's, it's wonderful. But the only thing that is kind of different or the negatives or the issues here is that we are kind of in different like states of health. I'm more in shape and he's, you know, kind of overweight and he wants to marry me like, you know, he would today. And he's asked me multiple times. But my family, I have no support on my family at all. Mm. They all say that he has a weird vibe and won't go into detail to what that means. And I feel very stuck and pressured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So that's family. Uh, What about your friends? What do your friends say? So my close friends, like my sisterhood, um, they do like him because they've seen his heart and how he is. the older women in my life, like my spiritual moms, yeah. they're just hesitant because he's had two marriages before. They both left left him for adultery oh. for the same reason. Mm. And they're just concerned about, you know, his ability to be a good husband or a lead. And um, basically they all think I deserve someone who's younger, has no kids. You know, yeah. I should do that. And I just kind of feel a little stuck sure. on the whole concept. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. It makes 
perfect sense. I think, yeah, there's a couple of red flags here. I mean, A, married twice before and adultery showed up both times. That's that's a real concern, especially if he's a pastor, right? I mean, he, he should know better, right. right? That's that's a that's a problem. Well, it's on their, their, it's the women who left and committed adultery. Like they oh, left I see. him for oh, okay. the man oh, okay. that they were sleeping with. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, 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 okay. So his his yeah. his wives were not faithful, and that's Correct. the deal there. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got it, and I think um, right, so that, that's a whole different deal. Uh, but I think you know the age thing too. It's um, what do you say about 20 years difference, right? That puts you in very different generations, very different places in terms of your life. And especially it's not, you know, and the older you get, the bigger the deal is. I mean, the difference between an 80 year old and a 60 year old is a pretty big difference, right? In terms mm -hmm. of being able to go places, do things, enjoy life. And, and it's very limiting, I think, for the younger one. Uh, yeah. But, you know, yeah. So, in but here's the thing. I mean, I, Kaylee, you, you you teed up my 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 next uh, my next statement here, which is the foolproof test, and that is to ask your family and friends. And yeah. um, because here's the deal: because love is love is blind, right? And when you're in love with someone, you tend not to see their defects. Your family and friends love you, but not him, and so their vision isn't going to be to be jaundiced by this this infatuation, this love that you feel. And so their read on it is really pretty good. And okay. so it's, if, if if family and friends are saying, man, this is a great thing, boy, you got lucky, This don't let this one get away, that's a really positive sign. And if they're saying, you need to think twice about this, that's uh, you need to really think twice about it. So um, that's the okay. foolproof sign. So let me ask you this real quick. I mean, what does your gut tell you? What do you feel in your stomach? What do you feel down you know, in the core of your being. Yeah. So this is it. I've always felt safe. That's, that was my number one immediate thing. I'm safe. Yeah. We, I care for him. I love him. It's awesome. The one thing that I do struggle with, like my gut is like, this is safe and fun and God's been in so much of it, but I struggle with physical attraction with them. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, like, so it's yeah. literally that battle. It's like, I love him, his soul, like we get along great and our souls are great, yeah. but it's like, I struggle with the physical aspect part. Like I really do. Yeah. No, I think, you and know I, what? Yeah. yeah. God, God bless you for saying that. And I, listen, you know, and I, I said earlier, all four loves are important and the Eros love, the physical attraction, the physical unity between a husband and wife is really important. And if that's lacking, that's an important part of what married life is all about. And if that's lacking, that, that's, again, another, you know, that's kind of a yellow flag that says, man, I, I kind of really need to have that in place as well. So I, um, okay. yeah, I, I, I don't want to make the decision for you, but what I would say, mm -hmm. Kaylee, is um, family and friends are probably a really good judge of this. And um, okay. maybe talk to them in a little more detail and, and see if they can be a little more specific about what their concerns are. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate your time. All right. Good luck, Kaylee. Thank you for calling in. Right. So now my foolproof test, Kaylee, yes, yeah, she, she spilled the beans, but that's the deal, right? Uh, I can't tell you how many times in the work I've done where I've working with a, a post-divorce person um, that I've heard them say, my family and friends told me this was a mistake and I didn't listen to them. Or they said, I just had a gut feeling that this was a bad idea 
and I just didn't listen to my gut. And I went forward and I thought, you know what, we'll, whatever the problem is, we'll get it fixed after we get married. That's not the right time to fix problems. You want to do it before you get married. So this is it's a pretty powerful indicator of, uh, you know, of the good judgment or poor judgment in terms of the person you're dating if you should marry him. So if, if they're saying, good job, hold on to this one, do it. If they're saying, think twice, think twice, okay? So stay away from selfish people, people who aren't aware of your emotions, people who have anger management issues people who abuse substances, and people whose moods are all over the place and you're never sure what's going on with them. Ask family and friends, follow their advice. And, um, so what should you be doing now, right? What, uh, you're, you're, you're dating, you know, you've, you've, you're meeting some people, uh, or maybe you don't even, you haven't met anybody, you're not even dating yet. What should you be doing? And I think, A, Become the person another person would want to marry. Become a person of great virtue. Become a person of patience and a person who knows how to forgive, uh, a person who's cheerful and positive and optimistic, right? So work on yourself to become someone who other people want to be around and someone who, when you walk in a room, everything gets better because you bring sunshine with you. And the other thing is, I think, you know, starting at an early age, parents with young children at the age of four or five, get them to start praying for their future spouse, to ask God to keep them safe, keep them away from temptation. So pray now for the person that you will be marrying, whether that's next year or in uh, five years or 10 years. So pray often for the person that you will uh, marry someday, right? So avoid... um, avoid some of the myths of marriage that says everything will get better after we're married. Nah, you're not going to live happily ever after. There's a lot of hard work there. Uh, Everything bad in our dating relationship will get better uh, after we get married. Things will get better. No, that's not going to happen either. Uh, It stays there. And my spouse will make me whole. No, you've got to do it. You've got to stay whole on your own. So, all right. So that's wrap up for today. So listen, marriage does not have to be perfect to be wonderful. There's a solution to everything that's hindering your marriage, and you will find those solutions here on Marriage Unhindered, Saturdays at 11 Central. Have a great day, everyone.